0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our text for this morning is the Old Testament lesson from the prophet Habakkuk. Remorseless evil against the weak and the helpless is pretty hard to fathom sometimes. We hear various stories every day on the news of heinous acts, both locally and from around the world. And we're led to wonder, what kind of monster could even think of such an evil thing, much less act upon it? Yes, there is evil out there. And then there is evil with a capital E. Such crimes directed against children fall into that latter category. What's most disturbing about these reports is just how common they've become. Hardly a week goes by when we don't hear about a a school shooting or a kidnapping or some severe case of neglect or abuse or some other equally malicious act of cruelty perpetrated against a child. Of course the reason that we hear stories such as these is because the the news outlets know that they will attract our attention. We tend to get really upset both individually and as a culture when a child is victimized. And reporters, of course, know that we are almost numb, if you will, to violent crimes committed against adults because we're so used to hearing about them but also I think it's because older victims are sometimes perceived as being better able to defend themselves against such acts and less innocent than children. But it doesn't mean that they suffer any less. Even so, it's the exceptionally sad and tragic cases that seem to affect us the most. We more readily sympathize with the victims and we burn with anger against the perpetrators. The reports provoke in us that age old question why why does god whom we know and trust to be loving and good allow innocent victim to suffer so why doesn't he stop them if he is all powerful why does he allow the innocent to be victims if god is the defender of the helpless and the refuge of the oppressed why isn't he doing anything We know that evil originates both from our fallen natures and from the cumulative sinful acts of humanity. And we must acknowledge that that evil with a capital E does exist and continues to be done. So, why does the Lord allow it to continue? And why does it seem that too often those who commit such acts, these evil, evil things, get away with it? Well, we are not the first culture or generation in history to ask these sorts of questions. The same burden weighed heavily on the mind and heart of Habakkuk, the prophet. He lived in the waning days of the kingdom of Judah. These were very sorry times, and as hard as it might be to believe, they were even worse than the days in which we live. Judah's king, heir to the throne of David, was a weak and vacillating and morally corrupt man. His heart was on his own short-term interests, not the long-term good of his people or his nation. In order to pay for his lavish lifestyle and buy the continued favor and protection of the pharaoh of Egypt, he imposed heavy taxes on the people. And this burden was primarily shouldered by the poor and working classes. That's because the nobles, the people with all of the power and the money, were largely exempt through various legal loopholes and special favors for the king. Any of that sound familiar? And so the whole system was corrupt, as was the judiciary. For the right price, you could buy any verdict or outcome that you wanted. And those people who had the money... Took advantage of the system to oppress and control those who did not. And since they also had law enforcement in their pocket, they backed up their authority with brute force and the threat of violence. Anyone who dared to speak out against the corruption or who complained about the injustice of it all or their ill treatment, well, they were likely to be beaten without mercy or imprisoned on trumped up charges and perhaps, and not so unlikely, simply killed. Unfortunately, the church of that day, an institution that should have been speaking out against these sinful abuses of power, was no help either. In fact, some of the worst perpetrators were the high-ranking priests and other religious authorities. After all, they were some of the richest people around. And they made themselves even richer by turning the temple of God into a money-making machine to attract the widest array of potential worshippers, that is, customers with money to spend... They opened the temple to include the erotically sensual worship of the Canaanite gods and goddesses. And so in the courts of the Lord's house you could worship Baal or Ashtoreth or the sun and the moon if that was your thing. You could sacrifice your child to Molech or buy the time of a temple prostitute. Whatever you wanted, it was there but for the handful of people who still had faith in the Lord and wanted to offer their sacrifices to Him, you could do that too. Most of the priests, though, they would happily suggest that you see things more inclusively. They would encourage you to cover all of your bases by taking full advantage of the wide range of options and services that the temple offered. We do not know exactly who Habakkuk was because he doesn't explicitly tell us. It's thought that he may have been a low-ranking member of the priestly class. So think of him, if you will, as a young pastor just out of the seminary, bringing over with faith in the one true God and with a healthy and heavy dose of idealism to boot. He's eager to serve the Lord by faithfully serving the Lord's people. But when he gets his first call and he sees how the world really works, his eyes are opened. He sees the temple defiled. He sees that his supervisors are nothing but a bunch of crooks and hypocrites. He sees all of the injustice and the oppression that's going on in society and how every major institution is rotten to the core. But mostly, Habakkuk sees how those few who remain faithful to the Lord are suffering. Their plight touches him deep in his soul. His heart goes out to them. He feels their pain. And that's fitting in a way because his name, Habakkuk, means embrace. It also it seems as though he's trying to gather together and to protect from the evil those who are faithful, those who are being threatened with devouring by those who are evil. And it's from this posture that he looks up to the Lord of heaven and he pours out his complaint. I don't get it, Lord, Habakkuk says. Why are you letting this go on? How long do I have to cry out before you'll listen? Why aren't you doing anything? How long will you see the violence and the injustice that your people are being made to suffer before you'll do something to save them? One thing we can say about Habakkuk is his prayers certainly are persistent. Most of us, on the other hand, we give up far too easily when things are bad and God seems to be silent. When we don't get an immediate response from Him, we assume that the Lord doesn't care or that He can't or won't do anything. Or maybe, maybe He's not even there at all. Not Habakkuk. He says to the Lord, I know you're there and I know you can hear me. And I'm going to stand here like a sentinel until you give me an answer. Well, the Lord who rewards faithfulness does provide an answer to Habakkuk. God's initial response is recorded in that part of the first chapter, which we did not read today, but let me clue you into it. Here's what the Lord says in paraphrase. Relax, Habakkuk. I've got it all under control. Even now I am delivering my faithful people and I am bringing those responsible for their misery into judgment. Let me tell you how. Because it's going to blow your socks off. The Lord tells Habakkuk, You could never have imagined it, but I'm going to bring the much feared and hated armies of Babylon against your nation. They will be my instruments to rescue my people. And to punish the wicked. Hearing that answer shocked Habakkuk. However, the wicked people were who were making life miserable for God's faithful, the Babylonians, they were were ten times worse. They were merciless in their conquests, and they ruled those nations that they conquered and subjugated with terror tactics. They would routinely order mass executions and make examples of those they killed by slowly torturing them to death. And on top of it all, the Babylonians were idol-worshipping pagans. At least the present leaders and nobles of Judah, the ones that were afflicting the people, were of God's chosen race and bloodlines. At least they paid lip service to the Lord. And at the public religious festivals, at least they outwardly claimed to acknowledge and to worship Yahweh? It didn't make any sense to Habakkuk. How could the holy and perfect and righteous God fight evil among His own people by the hands of those who are even much more corrupt and evil? How would that make things any better for the oppressed? If things were bad for them now, how much worse would they be under the Babylonians? And so armed with these questions... Habakkuk returns to prayer once again. He asks the Lord, can you explain this? How is it you who are holy, you who, for whom the tiniest sin is an outrage, how can you use that which is evil to accomplish your good and perfect will? We heard the Lord's answer to Habakkuk and what he says is this, write, this down and use big letters so that everyone can see. I want this message spread around. My plan of salvation is unfolding exactly as I have planned. Even though it seems to you as if I'm slow to fulfill my promises, hang in there. It will surely come. And then God concludes with some rather sharp words of rebuke for Habakkuk. Look at you. Your soul all puffed up with pride and all bent and twisted inside of you. The righteous will live by his faith. What God is saying is this, you act as if you know it all. You see people suffering from injustice and the sins of others, and then you have the audacity to accuse me of being asleep at the switch. And then when I tell you how I'm going to fix things... You think you can tell me that the way I'm going to go about it is all wrong. Well, let me remind you, I am the Lord, not you. I know what's going on, and you don't. You only think that you do. I know what is best for each and every person across the whole face of the earth, and that is precisely what I give them. And all things, ultimately, will serve my good and gracious and holy will, even even the sins of the wicked. To those who need hardship and suffering in their lives in order to keep them faithful, I give them hardship. To those who are in sin and in unbelief, I provide opportunities, and I grant patience to them so that they might repent and turn to me. I know what I'm doing, Habakkuk, I'm not making any mistake here. And you can be sure of all of this. My faithful will be saved, and evil and every sin will be punished. In the end, you will see. Both my love and my justice will prevail. Your part in all of this is to trust me. Indeed, your trust in me and in my loving care is how I count you as righteous in my sight. You are righteous, When you put your faith in me. The Lord did not need Habakkuk to tell him how to do his job. And what God did in the end is truly remarkable. He brought the Babylonians in just as he said he would. They overthrew the wicked rulers of Judah and punished them severely. They took away the wealthy's ill-gotten riches. Meanwhile, most of God's faithful people got deported to Babylon... Now, life for them there was far from luxurious, but at least the Babylonians maintained proper law and order. For them, it was simply good business to treat honest people who obeyed the laws fairly. And so, as strange as it may seem, the formerly oppressed faithful ones actually fared better under the Babylonians than they did under their own rulers and religious leaders. Not many years later, those faithless Jews who had remained in Judah rebelled against the Babylonians. And when they did, the Lord fulfilled His judgments against them by having the Babylonians destroy them completely. And so, for several decades, the only faithful Jews in the whole world were the ones who lived in Babylon. Then, when the timing was right, the Lord raised up another power, this time the Persians, to punish the Babylonians for their crimes. After Babylon fell, the Persian king allowed many of the deported Jews to return home and rebuild their nation. And through it all, the Lord used both faithless and evil people to carry out His will and to preserve those who trusted in Him. And that shouldn't surprise us, really. For all of this is only a foreshadowing of the much greater deliverance that was yet to come. You see, in the life of Jesus, there again, the Lord would use evil rulers and corrupt religious leaders to carry out the greatest injustice in history. They condemned and they killed the Son of God, the only truly innocent person who ever lived. Yet what men meant for evil, through that God accomplished good. Through the innocent suffering and death of His Son, the Lord God brought salvation to sinners those who repent of their sins and who trust in Jesus alone. There on the cross, God saw to it that every sin ever committed was punished. Punished in His Son, not in you. So that those who put their trust in Him will be saved. In Him, both God's love and God's justice prevailed. And in Him, we live before God, justified and righteous in His sight. Believing this ought to change the way that we look at evil in the world around us. No, we do not suddenly and naively perceive it as being good because evil is always still evil. It is a bad thing. Rather, we don't use our encounters with evil as an occasion to accuse God of falling down on the job or not caring for His people or not being just. Instead, we should see it as a call to greater faith in Christ to trust in Him even though we cannot see or even imagine what good the Lord is accomplishing by all of it. We should also see it as an opportunity for us to show our love and compassion, the love and compassion of the Lord to those who are suffering. And finally, remembering the prayer of our Lord Jesus to forgive them for they know not what they do, we should also see evil, and especially the evil that we suffer at the hands of others, as opportunities to extend to them the same forgiveness extended to us, received for the sake of Christ Jesus. May God our Father use all the means at His disposal to work in us such a complete and holy faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Amen.